0: Please turn to the book of Genesis. I'll be reading Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Father, this morning... Let us see Your glory. Let us see Your heart. Let us see Your love in that one act of creating all that is. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is the fourth week in the series of redemptive history or a journey through Biblical history. In a nutshell, last week we saw that God is by definition eternally, infinitely, omnipotently happy in the fellowship of the Holy Trinity. We saw that the Father has never been any other way but that He has always been delighting in His own perfections in the person and the reflection of the eternal Son. And the Son likewise, in the perfections and beauty and glory of the Father, has been infinitely, eternally complete, happy, contented, So much so that that very spirit of delight, love that the Father has for the Son and the Son for the Father is and has always stood forth, personified in the third person of the Trinity. And thus, God, by definition, is completely content. Happy. Couldn't wake up metaphorically and say, ooh, I could be happier than I actually am. In other words, there is absolutely no deficiency in God, in any way, in any form. There, there there's nothing within his being that over here there's a little empty, hollow, vacuous pocket. Nothing there. It needs to be filled. I need to do something to get that part filled. Therefore, that being true, or let's just say, wait, let's do it this way first. If that were not true of God, if He were not complete, infinitely contented and happy in the love and delight He has in Himself reflected in the Son, and vice versa. If that were not true, then God would be in a position to be constrained from someone or something called creation outside of Himself in order to, now i got that, to meet this deficiency and fill it up. Now that's an important thing to have your mind contemplate in that here's the big question of this morning's sermon. Why did God create? And because God is complete, infinitely happy, the answer is He did not create in order to be more happy in the fellowship of His creation or anything else. Or, I'm going to use some technical terms here the motivation for God to create was not... I lost my train of yeah. Let me Let me use two terms. One is, and we can all relate to these, we all act. When we act, that is an act of our will that we do that. I just moved my arm out there because my, I willed to do it. There's a difference between a necessary act and a free act. What do I mean? By necessary act, I almost did it this week because I went to the dentist the first time in a few years because of pain. But I remember in the past with my t- tooth problems, I have called up, here's the act, here's my will. I have willed, I have called up my dentist and begged him to come in on Saturday one time so that he would shoot needles into my gum and grind away at my tooth and take little files and give me a root canal I willed it, it was an act of mine and I wanted it but it was a necessary act meaning I didn't do it for the sheer joy of having needles stuck into my gum I did it as a means that's the key to another end or you can just turn which is that's just another way of saying be more happy I acted in order to do something as a means to get what I really want those are necessary apps thus we have bumper stickers or license plates that say I owe I owe so off to work I go That's saying it's a necessary act that I woke up this morning and went to work for most human beings not for the sheer joy of doing the work. But because it's a means to the end of having monies to free us up to do what we really want. That's a necessary act. What's a free act? The free acts are the license plate like on our van, only because the previous owner liked this, not me. Mine would change a little bit to golf. But it says, I'd rather be fishing. What's that mean? In other words, necessary acts are means to other ends to get what I want. Free acts are, I'm doing this thing called fishing for the sheer pleasure and joy in the fishing. For ne- it's an end. Not for any greater thing, especially a fly fisherman, because they're not going to eat the fish, most of them. That's a f- so, now, last week, whole sermon on the Trinity, that was another way to say what I was arguing is that God internally has always been this living dynamic of necessary act of loving and delighting in Himself in order to be infinitely and eternally complete and happy. And thus, because He is that God, anything else He does that moves outside of God can never be a necessary act. There is no need to have another necessary act. There is nothing in Him that would say, I need to do or Genesis 1-1, create as a means to get something I do not already have. Or to say it this way, the answer of why did God create is not because He had a divine toothache. And this freedom that when we contemplate as creatures, God, this Freedom of God is wrapped up in His sovereignty. Sovereignty simply means that there is nothing outside of God, no one or no thing outside of His internal being that can prevent him or hinder him or stop him from doing whatever he desires to do Ephesians one fifteen 115 or 1:5 says it this way God acts according to the good pleasure of his will That's it Psalm 135:6 Whatever the Lord pleases Whatever, He does. Psalm 115.3 Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. This means that everything that God does, He delights to do. And there is nothing outside of Him that can keep Him from doing it. I'm going to turn, you may or just may listen to Isaiah 46 and listen to the clarity of God through Isaiah the prophet here. Isaiah 46 verses 9 to 11 For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I am, excuse me, declaring, what do you mean God? I am the one who Is declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, My counsel. It's another way to say, Hey, what I will is God. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. He gives examples calling a bird of prey from the east. And now he gives another example. Or a human being of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. So, it's an introduction, up to this point, this is where God is, by definition, absolutely free. That is, He is eternally fulfilled and satisfied in and of Himself. And if He acts to go outward, apart from His so-called creation in any way, it is an utterly, absolutely free act, not a means to another end. And God is sovereign. Meaning, whatever these acts He wants to do, which are free, cannot be hindered nor stopped by any Being or thing outside of Him. Okay. So now then, the big question. In other words, Joe, you've been arguing that God has been eternally, infinitely, omnipotently, forever, without beginning, perfectly happy, joyful, contented, no vacuum in Him whatsoever, for all eternity then why did He not just remain happy, contented, in the Trinity? What in the world could motivate Him? I'm motivated to call that dentist, but He stop the pain! There's motive there in that act. So for, it sounds like a contradiction if He is perfectly, absolutely content in and of Himself apart from creation. I create. And the idea of motive, that God had, in other words, reason, a goal, a purpose, it it is axiomatic. It is a self-evident fact. And it better be. Well, there are people who have argued that God did create out of absolutely no motive, like Karl Barth in the 20th century. But if God created for absolutely no reason, in other words, just willy nilly on a whim one day, just whoo, is a horrible thought. Do you mean that God, you flung it all into existence for no purpose? For no goal? For no reason? You mean to say all the human suffering and pain and murder and wars and ten thousand other horrendous experiences of your creatures was for nothing on a whim? I think we should cry out and say, thank God, why didn't You just stay Happy within the Trinity. Because, here's the thing, you can't get away from this, because in your omniscience, you knew if you created exactly that these things would be. Turn around. Because in your omniscience, you're all-knowing. There's nothing past, present, or future that you don't know fully. You knew the pain you knew, put yours in there. I could put, you knew the murder of my brother by a serial killer. You knew it all. Why didn't you just stay happy in the Trinity without flinging it into existence if it was for absolutely no purpose? Oh, there's purpose. And this is, in a sentence or two, my main point this morning. And in this week, during this series of Redemptive History. Why did you create? Oh, there's motive. And here's the simple motive for His glory. But most of, I know, I'm going to unpack what I think that means. God created not to get something He does not already have, not a necessary act. But He created in order to overflow with the essence of what He is and has eternally had pure joy in Himself. To extend it outward in creation. In other words, He created in order to take what we saw last week of the infinite, un bounded to light He has in His own perfections reflected back to Him in His eternal Son. And that dynamic of love, delight, joy, personified in the Spirit, He created, not to get that, He is that, but to overflow with that in creatures that He would make in His image, that His glory would expand And we, by that glory, would be caught up to experience the joy that God has in God. Just for a moment, think about the implications, if that's making any sense right now to you yet, about what the essence of a true Christian is. I mean, just a baptized person, or I'm a member of this church, or I go to Abundant Grace, or anywhere else. A true Christian, this thing the New Testament calls new birth, In other words, something that happened by the Holy Spirit of God coming into a person while hearing the truth of the Gospel. That that very personification called the Holy Spirit, who is the essence of the community and the love that the Father has in the Son and the Son in the Father comes and is placed into a darkened soul. So that all true Christians in measure have a portion of the taste of what it is to see and to love and to delight in God. Because it's not yours. It's His, the Holy Spirit, sharing it with you. If you've wondered why you walked so long during earth, 17 years, or 40, and Something just hit you one day about this gospel thing that you fell in love with? That's the only reason. Because the essence of the gospel is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength as God has eternally been doing. And the only way we sinful, darkened creatures can do that is if God comes in with that very personification of His love into our very person. And the light went on. Okay, now I have nothing new to say. I want to say everything I said so far this morning and just say it differently. A professor of mine, Daniel Fuller, coined uh, these terms that have been so helpful for me and I hope they're helpful for you. The terms need love, let's put that over here in this hand. need love and benevolent love. Why do I say that? Because the word love there is the word, isn't it? We use it all the time. Oh, I love God. God loves me. What do you mean? It becomes very important. So, first, what is need love? What is need love? That is when we love someone or something in order to get what that object, that person could give to us. I have a need. If you're a drunk, it's alcohol. If you're a drug addict, it's the drug of your choice. If you're a person that is utterly unsatisfied, ever contemplating alone, you always have to be around people, it is what the presence of the other people can give to you. It's, it's need. Love. Yeah, you love it. We talk that way, don't we? Oh, well, I love that. Oh, let's make it real simple. Oxygen is an object of our need love. When I say when you say if you were like someone puts you in a box, you know, not get smart, like he's caught in the box, there's only so much time for air. Somehow at the ass he got out. He got out. He loved with need love. He needed something from oxygen. He loved the oxygen. You don't think, wow, he must have done a good deed to the oxygen. He loved oxygen. No, it's need love. We love oxygen. We love water. We love the sustenance of food. When you say, oh, I love those enchiladas, you don't mean, how can I uh, support or help out the need of the enchilada? That's need love. Benevolent love, very different. Because churches, we benevolent funds, what does that mean? It means when people within the church have a need, we have an overflow and want to meet it. But we, both, we just use the word love so you be careful what you mean by them. So that's benevolent love. Now, here's the kicker then. But God, God's need, love, has eternally, that means without beginning and omnipotently with all His might and included in all His omniscience has need, love is by definition filled to the brim forever and always in Himself. We, to love something with need love is to suck the life out of it. I don't care if it's irreverent. I want it to get over because I don't think it's irreverent to God. God, what I've been trying to explain about the Trinity, is by definition, He has been delighting or sucking the life out of Himself, which can never, of course, come to the bottom and find His joy. Fool. Therefore, What about the verb in the first sentence of the Bible? Created. It cannot ever be out of need. Love. It is only out of benevolent love. Benevolent love is to have something. The money, the sandwich, the food, the time that another needs, and you overflow to meet a need the other has. And so, the motivation in God creating was not out of need love. was not that necessary act to call the dentist. It was not, in other words, to get something that He did not already have. It is to overflow with the essence of what He already has, eternal joy and delight, summed up as the glory of God. This is, oh, this is, I think, if you need to listen to the CD or tape a few times it. ask questions come to home group It's. I find it so important for how you think and how you pray and how you wrestle with pain and how you wrestle with suffering and understand what's going on in this world to understand the gospel it's awesome news because that means God has no strings attached in creating let me just stop what do I mean you would think Take the mafiosia. you got a mob boss. We all know the movies. You're in trouble. You live in their little jurisdiction. They come to you in your business and bail you out with money and whatever else they do for you to get that problem off your back. And then you know. It's okay. No, that's no, no, just fine. When I need you, I'll let you know. There are strings attached. Horrifying strings. There is not that with God. The essence of benevolence is there is and are no strings. He will never have a need that you can meet for Him. The joy that He gets in overflowing with the joy He already has, or to say it this way, not a new joy, but the expansion of His eternal joy is more joyful and that's the motive for creation. Let me use a Twilight Zone episode to say why to think about that. To come to a conclusion about that reality is important. One of my favorite episodes of the old Twilight Zone was called To Serve Man. That's the episode. Where a bunch of extraterrestrials from far out galaxy, real tall creatures, big old ugly head, came down to Earth, all over the Earth, in the Soviet Union, in America, China, Japan, everywhere, came down to Earth in their spaceships. Of course, all we humans down here were freaking out. Oh my gosh, they're going to kill us! What are we going to do? And all of a sudden, we realized they didn't kill us, and then. We're getting nervous and they're kind of being nice and they're starting to teach us stuff that they know that we don't know. And then finally, the UN invites them and there's all the nations represented at the UN and these creatures are there. And Why are you here? And they said, because we have so far exceeded your intellect And experience and knowledge. And we see that this planet here is destroying itself with pollution and wars and everything else. And it's just a disaster. So we've come to teach you how not to do that. And so they grilled them and grilled them and grilled them. And finally, okay, we'll see. And that's what seemed to happen. Country after country, poverty was wiped out. They learned new ways of farming and growing and doing things. War was no more but at the UN one of these guys accidentally left a little book now in the front it says in English to serve man they came to serve inside it was in a non-human language so while this is going on our CIA and one of the departments in there the decoders were working on decoding what does this book say you know, a year goes by, two years, and they're also starting to have trips for the humans to get in the rocket ship, and they'll take them to their planet for like a three-year vacation and to see what it's like to live there. And more and more people are signing up and taking off and going on these three-year trips to these wonderful people who, who love us so much. And one of the decoders who's part of this series, I mean, th- th- this episode, and finally he decides, what the heck, we can trust him. We're still, we don't know what the book says yet, but we're still working on it. We're getting close. And he books a flight. And the day that he's leaving as he's going up the steps. One of his partners in the decoding comes running and says, if his name is Bill, Bill, we've decoded the book. It's a cookbook. How to serve man. I didn't do that just to be funny. There's a way, and I'm going to tell you, people that live in a lot of pain and suffering, what's going on down here, blow their brains out over such questions. These people did not come with benevolent love. They were running out of food to feed themselves. They came to earth to eat the humans motivation of why they're doing what they're doing is really important. To think that God created and saves for some need he has is a horrible thought. How do you know when you're invited to the banquet table that the reality is when you get there, you might be the turkey on the table instead of to have a chair to eat of his fullness forever. And therefore God, and we see this throughout Scripture, He does everything for the sake of His internal and eternal joyfulness or glory. He is always and forever getting His need-love met in Himself. That is, He is absolutely free To love in that. Free to love in the way of saying, love means I am everything you need here. joy, No strings attached. And that's why I'm going to take about four or five minutes and just, I had to get rid of lots of them just for time, just to read a number of scripture texts. That I'm going to say, this is why, when we get this, why Christians love these following texts. That God moves and acts out of pure freedom, which means for His own glory's sake. Not because of you, ultimately. And that that is the greatest news. In all the universe for the you's, for the uses. Doesn't need anything from me. He is everything for me, and will thus preserve that treasure chest called Himself in everything he does, so that I can partake of it forever. For instance, first Samuel twelve twenty-two. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name. Because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for Himself. And see, unless you start to get what just went forward in the last 45 minutes, that for self can sound selfish. Does He really loved me? That He does everything for Himself is the essence of His true love. Isaiah 48, 9-11. For the sake of My name, I delay My wrath. Well, let's just turn that around. He's talking to Israel. You deserve it, Israel. But I'm going to hold back My wrath. Oh, good. Why, God? For the sake of My name, I delay My wrath. And for My praise, I restrain it from you in order not to cut you off. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? The Apostle Paul in Romans 9, looking at the text in Exodus, says concerning pharaoh for this very purpose i raised you up pharaoh why god to demonstrate my power through you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth the apostle peter in chapter 2 verse 9 of 1st peter says it this way to christians you are a chosen race, a people for God's possession. Well, that's good. Why? Is there a reason, God? Is there a purpose? Here's the, there is. It's a purpose clause, in order that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous life. It's so blanket. God has been loving and delighting in and finding absolute happiness and contentment in His own excellencies. Why did He save anybody? All those whom He's saving was for this goal, that you would also look, perceive, and see how excellent I am and just explode with praise about it. Now, if you don't think that's the best news that could possibly be for you, I don't either. You're not hearing that or I cannot imagine what would be better. What what better thing could God actually do for us? And God's doing two things that are not in contradiction there. He is upholding the worth of his beauty and glory first and foremost in all that he does. And He's making us the most happy that we could possibly be for the longest duration of time. That's called salvation in Christ. That's why the phrase John Piper gets from Jonathan Edwards and phrases it in poetry by saying, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him, as God is in Him. Uh, A few more. Daniel 9.19 O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. Listen to how Daniel pleads. O oh Lord, listen and take action. Why? Because I'm worthy. And now, an he says, For your own sake, O oh my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. Psalm 25.11 says it this way, God, for Your name's sake, O Lord, do you pray this way? As you close your eyes in a few minutes, we partake of communion, will you pray this way as we examine our heart? For Your sake, glorify Your name in forgiving my sin. Psalm 79, verse 9, Help us, O Lord, O God of our salvation, for the glory of Your name, help us and deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Listen to Jesus in John twelve, twenty seven to twenty-eight, in his high priestly prayer. Well not his high priestly prayer, I'm sorry, but he says now my soul has become troubled before the cross. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. The cross was ultimately about God glorifying Himself in the mercy which will flow from the cross? Romans one five. Paul says, "Through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles." Here's my mission. I'm a missionary, and he says, "Why? Why? Why this? For His name's sake." Let me. I'll just skip a few, and we'll go back to two more. We all know this one. We know this one certainly at funerals. Psalm 23.3 He restores my soul. Yes, He does. God does that for His children. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For His name's sake. Oh, those words are supposed to be precious little jewels on her tongue. Isn't that the greatest news in the world? I'm going to read one more text because... This, this text, some of you know, I've said this before, and it's just, just honest truth. first ten years as a Christian, I did not understand it. It made no sense. I knew that something had to be wrong with it. Just, it didn't make sense. I had no structure in my thinking to have this text make any sense. When the Apostle John says in 1 John 2.12, I am writing to you, little children. Why? Because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. What what does it have to do with Him? His sake? It's for my sake. Which is true. But oh, because God never acts for any motive that does not ultimately include the motive of glorifying Himself. And that's the greatest news in the world. As you sin this week, as you fall in the next couple months, you know you blew it with a spouse, a child. You knew that your heart is in unbelief. Don't spend an iota wringing your hands. I wonder if you can forgive me. Don't mock the Gospel that way. Stand on the rock that God's greatest joy is to glorify Himself by forgiving me in His Son. That's what a believer is. And so I conclude this morning, God's bumper sticker says, I'd rather be serving... And if you're a believer, put your name in there. I'd rather be serving you. I'd rather have my glory expand in meeting your needs all of you who are in Christ. What a wonderful Gospel. Every one of us believers can rest assured that God's eternal, glorious energy is moving and acting in absolute freedom to bring about this great promise that He will cause all things to work together for your good to those who are in Christ and who are called according to His purpose, because His purpose is to glorify Himself forever in meeting your greatest needs in Him forever. I'm going to close in prayer as we do. After the prayer, we will be passing out the communion elements. Partake of those, hold them. Examine your heart and then we'll pray over the bread and the cup and partake together. Father, may the spirit of worship, may the spirit of having our eyes open, our hearts attuned, that we have even tasted just a teeny-weeny portion of your spirit, the Spirit that is the personification of love and delight and joy in You, our great God and Savior. May Your Spirit keep working this in our hearts in the following minutes as the music is playing, as we prepare our hearts to partake of this wonderful meal together in Jesus' name.